Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a slightly abbreviated version of First Move this morning. We are live at the Stock Exchange here in New York, and I am Julia Chastley. What you were just listening to there was analysis on President Trump's comments this morning before heading out to Colorado. The president responded to a special prosecutor, Robert Mueller's presser yesterday, saying that Mueller should never have been chosen to lead the Russian investigation into interference into the 2016 election and called him, quote, totally conflicted. He, uh, Robert Mueller, of course, said yesterday that if he'd have had confidence that the president didn't commit a crime, he would have said so. But he also emphasized that in the end here, Russia did interfere in the 2016 elections and all Americans should care about that. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing for now for U.S. stock markets this Thursday. A higher open was expected, bouncing this morning after two days of sharp losses. We've also got bond yields like slightly higher in the session so far, too. We've also just received our second look at first quarter U.S. growth numbers, too. It's a touch lower, the revision at 3.1% annualized, but better than expected. Actually, it may have been led by a reduction in net exports and an inventory bill, but you can't escape it in terms of magnitude. That Q1 growth number was strong. Let's get some analysis now on what we're seeing. Nation Sheets is chief economist and head of global macroeconomic research at PGM Fixed Income and joins us now. Nathan, fantastic to have you on First Move. Nice to be here. Thank you. You've said you're pretty confident about the U.S. economy's ability to weather the trade war storm here. Talk me through why. It uh, is certainly a storm, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of momentum. The labor market is very strong. Even this morning, we got uh, some claims data that were looking very good. And I think underneath it, the consumer is in a good place. Recent readings on consumer sentiment are high. Uh, they're enjoying uh, gradually rising wages. And uh, as I said, the employment pictures uh, 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 solid. And the consumer, after all, is about two-thirds of the U.S. economy. So someone recently said to me, okay, fine, we've got consumer confidence at 15-year highs here in yes. the United States, but we tend to be like that at the peak of a cycle. We tend to be over-exuberant. Is there any truth to that fact? And is there a reason perhaps for alarm bells there too? So I think it's a very fair question as to whether we are uh, you know, seeing lagging indicators right. still uh, still showing showing strength. My feeling is that underneath that, still the corporate sector is strong. Uh, you know, there's a, there's still there's still momentum in the system. And then the question is, is there enough momentum to withstand the uh, force associated with the trade war? I think the answer is yes, but also will depend on what the president does with the trade war. I mean, that's an open question for all of us right now. What's the message that the bond market is sending at this moment? Because we've had people like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan saying they expect second quarter growth to be around the 1% level, pointing at 
what we call the inversion of the yield curve, where we see back-end rates lower than front-end rates and saying there's recession warnings here, perhaps. Yeah. Right or wrong? Uh, the, the bond market is increasingly worried about what's happening. And I think the bond market has been worried about inflation for a while. Now it's also worried about possible recessionary effects associated with the trade war. When we see the 10-year Treasury yield at around two and a quarter percent, that's a very strong message that uh, the, the bond market uh, is sending a signal to us that there are a lot of risks out there to be worried about. Too fearful when you compare it to the fundamentals right now? Because even if we look at the pullback that we've seen in stock markets, what, 5 to 7% from, from recent highs here, that doesn't equate to the rally, the strength that we've seen in bond prices here. So um, who's getting it right? So if I could choose the number based on the fundamentals as I see them, I think I would choose a somewhat higher number. Right. Uh, maybe by, you know, uh, maybe two, 250 or 260. Uh, but uh, the bond market has been somewhat more restrained and somewhat more cautious for quite a while. And quite frankly, in many respects, that outlook has been has been correct. Do you think the Federal Reserve cuts rates this year? I mean, we're starting to look at pricing in the possibility of two rate cuts in, in 2019. Is that too alarmist too, based on what you've said? The, the Fed is patient. Yes. They are waiting. They're happy with where they are. It would take a sizable shock to the economy. Uh, a, a big negative impact likely from trade to convince the Fed to move. But if the trade war does heat up, the Fed's going to see that as a contractionary shock and will respond uh, accordingly, and that could include uh, a rate cut. Getting to two rate cuts this year really seems to me to be a stretch. Would do you think tariffs on the rest of the $300 billion worth of imports that comes in from China, yes. would that be enough of a shock, particularly if we saw a further 5%, maybe even more, pullback in stock markets? Would that be enough for the Fed to go, OK, we need to move here? So I think once we see, if it happens, that additional uh, effect for, for more tariffs, it's going to hit the consumer harder. People are going to see it and feel it. The macroeconomic effects of the trade war are going to be much larger. And at that point, I don't know whether that would be enough or not, but the Fed would have to be seriously uh, considering how to respond. The probabilities are higher. Yes. Nathan, fantastic to have you Pleasure. on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. The Chief Economist and Head of Global Macro Research at PGM Fixed Income. All right, let's move on now because at Disney in terms of this stock market well and truly front and center welcome to planet batu disney has bought the outer galaxy to california the new star wars land galaxy edge opens tomorrow frank peloto is there and has got a sneak preview frank so excited to have you on the show i believe you could take a ride on the Millennium falcon you can also create your own lightsaber does it get better than that no it doesn't it really it really doesn't get better than that. You can see right behind me is the Millennium Falcon itself. What's really crazy about this is I remember talking to Scott Trowbridge, who was the Imagineer who kind of created the creative force behind this land. And he said he wanted people to really discover new things. So I was walking around the land last night and I just ran into R2-D2, this little lovable droid. Chewbacca was walking around. It feels like a world. For a moment, obviously, I'm in Anaheim, California, but you really do believe you're on this planet of Batu, and that is what Disney and its parks division really want for guests. You know, 
We've got the upcoming film as well, the, the rise of Luke Skywalker or the rise of Skywalker. What do we think? And did you get any hints about what that might look like as a result of wandering around this theme park? We didn't get a lot of hints about what the next film would be like, but I think that's kind of the point. They want this land to stand on its own. They wanted to open up multiple years, 50 years for new generations, be a new entry point instead of these movies. It's going to have movies. It's going to have Disney Plus. But the theme parks want to be another extension of the Star Wars story. And so that you come here and you connect everything inside of that Disney, I hate to use this pun, universe. Yeah, and we're not allowed to use the word park, are we? It's a land. We have to be very clear about defining this. And I think what we can't escape here for Disney, as successful as the content creation has been for Disney, um, the theme parks is a huge chunk and a profitable part of the business too. Yes, yeah, so one of the biggest money makers of the company is its media networks, you know, ESPN, ABC. Since 2015, when it kind of hit a high, it's been declining around 15%. In that same time period, the parks have gone up nearly 50%. This is a huge, huge, rock-solid part of the Disney business, and this is a major investment in that business. And they're doing this around the world. They're doing this in Shanghai Disneyland. They're doing this in California Adventure, which is right near this park, with a new Marvel theme land, uh, Marvel themed area, I should say. And let me be honest, if you don't know about Marvel, Marvel's kind of as popular as Star Wars. So it'll be interesting to see how bigger this world gets for this unit. How much longer are you there for, Frank? Very quickly. I hope I'm here for the rest of my life, Julia. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yep, truth always. Frank Pelota, have fun. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on now because some big tech firms are hitting back against the British spy agency GCHQ over fears a, quote, ghost proposal would allow it to eavesdrop on encrypted messages. Anna Stewart joins us on this story. Anna, it's all in the name here, I think, ghosting and a ghost proposal here. Talk me through why some of the tech companies and others, of course, have written a letter saying this is a bad idea. Yeah, it's an interesting one. This is a proposal that was made last year by GCHQ. And what it does is recommends that messaging services like WhatsApp effectively CC a third party, the government, into encrypted messages. So if this were implemented, you and I could be having a nice chat on WhatsApp and we wouldn't know that we were actually part of a group chat with the government. But of course, that's not what it's designed for. The government probably doesn't care much about what we have to say, but they do want it for exceptional circumstances so they can perhaps, you know, help prevent a terror attack. As, as you would expect. This is what they've always wanted. They think this is better than the backdoor method where you effectively create a backdoor to an app, but that you know represents more security risks in many ways because it could get hijacked by bad actors. However, this proposal has come under a lot of opposition. Huge open letter today signed by all sorts of people. They say it violates human rights. And you've got to think, you know, this is named after that Mission Impossible movie, I think, Ghost Protocol. And you wonder whether this is Mission Impossible. Can you give a government the tools it needs to protect people and not violate the public's rights? Yeah, when I first read this story, I actually thought it said Ghost Protocol. I was like, wow, they called it that. I mean, that tells you everything, quite <laughs> frankly. I have a strong view on this, though. I think if it's for security purposes and it's to protect our friends, our families, then you know what? You want to tap into my phone, you go for it, my friends. But uh, I know it's where you draw the line here that's the, uh, the big question and the worry here too. 
is, and it's interesting that who signed the letter. There are so many people. It is cybersecurity experts, advocacy groups, and also obviously the big tech giants, Apple, Facebook, WhatsApp, Microsoft. And you know, it really doesn't come as a surprise. You all remember 2015, 2016, uh, when Apple was approached by the FBI. They wanted uh, the iPhone yeah. access of the San Bernardino shooter. And Apple wouldn't give it to them because they don't ever want to create a precedent on this. So, yes, big hot topic. Not sure there's ever really going to be a middle ground there, though. No, and I agree. The risk is that you introduce backdoors that make you vulnerable to hacking. So where does it stop? Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you for that. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on First Move. But up next, speed bumps on Wall Street. Uber reporting for the first time since its, uh, let's call it Rocky IPO. Can it reassure investors? We'll have some analysis next. Welcome back to First Move. Uber's reporting earnings after the close. It will be the ride-hailing slash transportation firm's first earnings since going public. Remember, it warned back then that it might never make a profit. The stock is down almost 4% since it floated. Our next guest says Uber is worth the investment, not perhaps for what it is now, but for what it will be worth in the future. For more on why he feels like that, I'm joined by Bradley Tusk, founder of Tusk Ventures, an early investor and an Uber advisor. Yeah. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. I mean, to be fair, we've seen these numbers, the sure. unaudited version yeah, of these numbers pre-IPO. You've said the future has to be about more innovation. And yeah, I mean, if you're bidding on Uber, let's say you buy Uber shares today. Yes. It's a company that's losing roughly a billion dollars a quarter. If you believe that they can take this way to get everything and everyone from point A to point B, whether a truck, a person, or a burrito, yes. and do it in a profitable way, the way that Amazon did with goods and services, then it's a great investment. But you have to believe in the future of Uber and the promise of Uber. And I think one of the challenges has been when they put in new management, they professionalized things, and that was great, but they did so at the expense of people who had a real focus on innovation. And while that calmed down the media firestorm a couple of years ago, the markets clearly are not happy about it. I mean, you've been really punchy in an op-ed. You basically have said that Dara Khosrowshahi was the right guy at a difficult time, as you said, to introduce stability. But unfortunately, if you want to see growth here, uh, you need to get rid of him. Yeah, well, I mean, or he has to do something different. But, you know, the board solved for the immediate problem of they were all being personally criticized by the media, named by the media, made them very uncomfortable. And they said... We want a guy who can calm everything down really well and really quickly. And they got that. And you know what? Darrow would be a great chancellor of the University of California or secretary of commerce or CEO of Johnson & Johnson or whatever it is. But this is not a stability play. This is a growth play. This is a future vision play. And you need someone that has some of the innovation skills of Travis Kalanick and some of the management skills of Dara. And it's incumbent on the board to find that person. You know, it's interesting. What we saw with both Uber and Lyft, I think, is raising questions about whether all the values taken in the private markets. And by the time you get to being public, actually, there's nothing left yeah. for shareholders there. And actually, you waited too long. Was that the mistake I in Uber's so. case? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no reason in 2016 we couldn't have gone public. Would have been probably the same or even a higher valuation that we're at right now. And also a little more of a honeymoon. When you take so long to do it and you keep taking so much money, literally in this case, billions and billions of dollars from the private market, by the time you go public, people are like, well, the growth has already kind of happened and I'm not willing to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. And so a lot of the characteristics that make a new public company and a new listing exciting don't necessarily exist when these tech companies go stay private for so long. Yeah, it's kind of arguing that the private private providers of financing don't have a good gauge of 
value. They get crazy earlier yeah. on. I think that they just get really caught up in the excitement and the hype and everyone else is doing it. And the other problem is people raise funds that are so, so big that in order to deploy the money, you have to write these giant checks, right? And so as a result, there's this weird pressure that the tail is wagging the dog. Oh, I just raised a $20 billion fund or $50 billion fund or whatever it is. It's fine if we work as valued at 47 billion because I got to deploy some capital. We had some um, news this weekend as well, or this week, that Uber's going to kick you off if you have a bad rating. Yeah. In terms of fine, vision, and <laughs> yes, that's mine, but I'm working on it too. In terms of great vision, innovation, yeah. um, it's fine. Wah, wah. It's very nice. It's incremental. Yeah. Fundamentally, if I am today evaluating whether or not to buy Uber, the fact that someone with a rating of less than 4.6 won't be allowed to use the platform just has no impact on it either way. Like, it might make drivers a little happier, it might reduce the number of passengers a bit. It's probably a wash from an economic standpoint, but I don't think that's what the market is asking for. The market is asking for, show me how you're going to deliver on this vision. You are still an Uber shareholder. Sure. You're stuck with it as well for a while. Would you tell people to get involved because you believe that... I do long-term, yes. I do, but at the same time, and Uber's I'm sure not thrilled that I've been talking about this on CNN and writing the FT about this, but um, someone needs to call them out. Of course. And someone needs to put some pressure on them to say, look, what you have here is still truly amazing and has incredible potential, but you've got to really demonstrate it a lot better than you are today. And so I didn't see anyone else doing it, and that's why I did. There's something that connects the dots here, which is Elon Musk, uh, Travis Klanick with what yeah. he did with Uber as well, Mark Zuckerberg sure. as well. Yeah. Great innovators. Are they good leaders? And what can we learn from this? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? So on one hand, you could say, okay, someone goes from zero to one, like those three people did. Only they could do it. And at a certain point, when you're going from six to nine or whatever yes. cliche we want to use, you know, the people. On the flip side, though, that's what Uber did, right? They said, okay, Travis got us from zero to one. Let's have Dara take us from six to nine. And yet that's not really working either. So there's a balance where you still really need an intense focus on innovation and change and yet more professional management at the same time. And I think you're seeing challenges where Kalanick, a Musk, a Zuckerberg are really, really good on growth and innovation. They struggle on the management side, but then the professional managers being brought in um, are really good at calming things down, but they don't inspire the confidence of the market. It's all about timing as well. Yeah. Bradley Tusk, always a pleasure to Thank have you, you on the show. Me. Thank you. All right, speaking of Facebook, frustrated with Facebook, US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi slams the social network for not deleting a doctored video of her. All the details on what she said, it was uh, pretty punchy. Next. first move. Facebook has no friend in U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She berated the company for its refusal to remove an altered video. She also suggested that Facebook enabled election meddling. This comes as CEO Mark Zuckerberg faces shareholders at their annual general meeting today. Brian Stelter joins me now. Brian, great to have you with us. I mean, Thanks. Nancy was really punchy. She said, look, this and their refusal to take this video down convinced her that they enabled the Russians to interfere in the 2016 elections. I mean, that's not pulling your punches. Yeah, she's saying that Facebook does not have basic standards about accurate content that's shared on the website. Well, Facebook says something doesn't have to be true in order to be shared on Facebook. Its policy is if something is proven to be false, then it is greatly diminished in the news feed, but not removed altogether. 
That is a current stance by Facebook. It's a very controversial stance because a lot of what we see every day on Facebook, like we saw with Pelosi last week, they're dumb fakes. These aren't even deep fakes made with artificial intelligence. They're just really dumb, basic edited videos. Uh, if people can't figure those out and, and solve for those, then that's a problem that's much bigger than Nancy Pelosi. But it's unique to see a prominent U.S. politician speak out against the company so strongly. Yeah, YouTube took it down, guys. YouTube took it down. Um, more importantly, and obviously filters into what we're seeing with the AGM today, some shareholders yeah. saying Mark Zuckerberg here is too powerful. The problem is, in order to change that level of power, Mark Zuckerberg has to give his approval. Big <laughs> has problem. To agree. That's right. There are eight different proposals on the table today, the shareholders meeting. These are you know, eight of the thousand different points of pressure that Facebook is under. The company is feeling it from all directions, from the Nancy Pelosi's of the world and from individual shareholders. One of the proposals is to dilute Zuckerberg's shares to make him less powerful. Another proposal is to have an independent board chairman. But as you said, Zuckerberg would have to be on board for this. He's got control of the company through those uh, B shares. It is unlikely we're going to see any changes today. But it's always interesting to see at these shareholder meetings how much anger, how much dissatisfaction there is with a company like Facebook. Two straight years of scandals. And yet look at the stock. You know, the yes. stock, uh, by the look of that chart, you wouldn't have guessed how many struggles the company has been feeling for the last two years. Yeah. Investors don't care. Advertisers don't care. Users don't care, Brian. Why should Facebook change? Uh-oh, I'm on my soapbox. This could take us through the next hour. I have to say thank you because we have to wrap up the show. <laughs> thank you. Brian Stelter, thank you as always. All right, let me give you a quick look at the markets right now. We are seeing a more positive start for the session. We'll be back in a couple of hours' time with the Express. Can we hang on to this right now after a few tough sessions this week so far? A bit of a bounce perhaps is timely right now. Five-tenths of a percent higher for the Nasdaq, as you can see. That wraps it up for First Move today. I'm Julia Chatley. You've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.